Starting recording. Okay. Uh, hello, welcome to another episode of the Silk and Steel podcast. I'm your host, Carl Zha. Today we have a very special guest all the way from UK. Um, I first discovered her when I was doing research on Chinese participation in World War One, and I went down the rabbit hole that led me to the Chinese experience in UK. And I found this article by Anna, um, and it's quite educational. And um, and and then a couple years ago, I just found out that Anna is actually on Twitter. So I immediately followed her and and she talks about um, you know what? I will let her talk about herself. So first of all, welcome to the show, Anna. Hello. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, you know, I'm so glad that you came to my show because now I finally have a woman guest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are, there are quite a few um, women progressives. There's Rania. There are yes. a few. So it's making me uh, that, that's making me feel better. It, it's it's not just the boys. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I was I was a guest at on Rania's shows actually, and I was a guest on. Um, all around Empire um, uh, by oh, man, I'm doing a blank here, but yes. So I did have, I did talk to multiple women. Now, now I feel better. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, but what I really want to uh, uh, do is to have you to talk about yourself a little bit because you're such a polymath. You are a writer, poet, broadcaster. I, I don't even know how to define find you. So I will let you just speak in your own words. Okay, well, I was born in Hackney in the far east of London um, to an English mother and a Chinese father. My, my dad had come over, um, settled originally in Liverpool in the late 1920s um, and then moved to London where, um, where, where I was born. Um, I'm a writer and broadcaster. I've, I write poetry. I used to be a script doctor, um, writing with various producers. I've worked as a volunteer in, in politics, um, did the press for the British, uh, for the UK anti-Iraq war movement under Stop the War um, in 2001 to three. And... Um, Really f focusing on 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 my poetry now. I've got a book called Reaching for My GNU, which has a an assortment of political things. It's just sort of my my observations. And is it um, possible that you could maybe read a poem or two for us? I I I will. Do you, do you want me to do that now? I I can to give you a sure. Flavor coming sure. Back. Why not? Let's do it. Okay, I'll, I'll do Anna May Wong Must Die. And this is from a show that I, I did called Anna May Wong Must Die. And this was after, um, in 2005, uh, my lovely producer, Mukti, um, pitched to the BBC Radio 4 that we should do a programme on um, Anna May Wong because she was the most famous Chinese woman in the world, I think apart from maybe Mrs Chiang Kai-shek. Um, at, at, at that time, the twenties and in the twenties and thirties, she's much better and, looking than Jiang Kai Shek. <laughs> what, Mrs. Much I, I, 
Well, yes. Well, Mrs. Chiang Kai-shek was quite was quite pretty, but not a terribly nice person, I think. And she she loathed um, our our first Chinese Hollywood legend, Anna Mae Wong, who was born in 1905, third generation American um, American chi- Chinese. So she was born in in LA. And I'd I'd loved her since I was a kid, and I first saw Shanghai um, Express on telly, where she, I think she quite outshone Marlena Dietrich in many ways. They made a great a, a great twosome, but she butted up against a lot of the racism that was um, happening there. And I just thought I, I just wanted to pull the thread out that just seems so appropriate from then to now. Now, when I wrote this poem, the last really horrible thing to have happened to Chinese in the West, not counting Nanjing and so on, in the West was probably the 1870s when the demagogues turned on the Chinese, when the American economy was bad. Um, and in 18, this culminated in 1882 with the Exclusion Act, as you know. Anyway, so I was fed up growing up in Britain with all these, you know, yellow peril images about us. So I wrote this. Right. So it's Anime Wong Must Die. Down in the alleys of old Chinatown, in the gaudy, bawdy back streets of sinister renown, dope peddlers peddle, the dragon gets chased. It's the same old story, the same yellow face. The man with the Fu Manchu opium embrace could kill you in an instant and never leave a trace. He knows all the tricks how to get you high, and that's why Anna Mae Wong must die. Down in the sewers of Chinatown Way, Chinamen get chinkified every single day. Little yellow people, almost Merging into one. You eat their rice for punishment, their noodles are no fun. Robotic ant like army with phases set to stun. Marching across the countryside, nowhere left to run. Here's a tall puppy soaring in the sky. And that's why Anna May Wong must die. Silver screen dreams in black and white, but without the black bits, so that's all right. Along came a flapper, a cute little score. The women went ooh and the boys went four. Black hair, almond eyes, a figure to adore. Yellow skin glistening, sticking in their craw. There's a comet in the heavens. The end is nigh. And that's why Anna May Wong must die. Who's that upstart flouting all the rules? Not one thing or the other. Fall between two stools. It's Anna getting cocky. Anna out of line. Anna take your punishment. Anna do your time. Scary Chinese nemesis looking mighty sly. Crush the dragon lady, the mastermind of crime. Anna kissed a white boy and made him cry. And that's why Anna May Wong must die. And that was written in January 2009. I actually see quite a lot of um, metaphors for um, parallels between that and what's happening now. Yes, indeed. And I must say that is quite lyrical. I mean, I, I w- I'm stunned that that's that's almost like it's like almost a rap song. I mean, I, I just, thank you for doing that. that that's that's just amazing. Um, <laughs> I, and I totally agree with you that we now seen the echoes of the bad old days of late 1900s. Uh, you know, we are now at another time when U.S. Uh, self-confidence is shaken because yeah. you know, the economy has really not recovered since uh, 
Great Recession of 2008. I mean, even though the stock indexes are going up, but those are all well, very it's not, superficial. It's not the economy, the markets are not the economy. The, yeah. the, the American uh, manufacturing has been in recession for two years. You know, yeah. I mean, basically since the 2008 crash, it has never, it, 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 it's never, um, you know, gone, gone back to, to, to where it was before that. Although China, and what people are forgetting, you see, that annoys me, because in 2008, it was so massive, people don't realise how bad that crash was. And then China stepped in, you know, working with Obama and um, uh, Bush, Bush before, but especially with, with Obama, um, basically it allowed the global currencies to devalue against the yuan so it acted as a shock absorber because it was so big it was such a massive stable economy uh, and growing despite what various people are saying you know oh it's going to collapse it's going to implode at any time now so it lifted by doing that by allowing all the currencies to devalue against the what you want and taking the hit it floated the world's currencies out of uh, out out of the the, the disaster of, of the American crash helped America also bought up a load of their debt helped stabilize it that way laid the ground for this what 11 year bull run in its markets also with Australia Australia barely felt this because you know at the same time China was doing what it was buying all their their resources you know I remember reports at the time when everyone else was around the world was really scared of what this crash meant there were reports of um from Australia of families that still had two jet skis and two cars in the you know in the drive and and their lifestyle wasn't even dented by that so what's happening now I just think is really really hurtful and it's like wow that's what you, that's how you pay them back and what's more amazing is that China is now Australia's largest customer and yes. Um, and and then the Australian government, because they're under pressure by U.S. government, are going on this uh, insane uh, Sinophobic drive um, to cast China as this great enemy. Um, in fact, I saw a uh, uh, Australian comedy show, um, I think called Utopia, uh, about a couple years ago. They did a skit where. Um, they had a you know a, the the government meeting um, where the head government official asked his general. So you know what's our plan? What's our rationale for our our defense? You know for 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 our defenses. Um, they say well oh because uh, you know Indo Pacific, um, and 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 so the the leader said okay let, repeat after me and, and just not if it makes sense. It's because of China, right? Yeah. <laughs> they all nod and he said, well, China is our largest customer, yes? And everybody awesome. nod. And, and we are, you know, building, uh, uh, we're building a military force to defend, again, again, to defend our trade route, yes? They're all not. So we are defending our trade route from China <laughs> and everybody still nods and it's totally ridiculous because 
the whole the whole situation though is just so full of contradictions and what i find quite worrying is that under normal circumstances there would be a a, a large strand of the mainstream uh, media who would be analysing this, who would be showing up the contradictions, saying, well, look, you told us this, but actually here are the facts that, 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 um, that challenge that. And that's not happening. And I actually put this down to the project for America in the 21st century, which has been going on since the 1990s. And I think what they would do... Think tank, yes. And, and I, I think I think they would just... And it, a lot of this stems from, from there, that, that they, they were... were um, I mean, it's weird because it dates from before even the Chinese entry into the um, World Trade or Organization. But I, I, th I think the move was on there. And I remember they were sort of trawling journalists. They were inviting journalists and prominent people, you know, to go along to, to their, their events. And uh, this was all started, I think, around the time of Yugoslavia when, when they busted up. Yugoslavia, which I see is the first of this line, this straight line that goes straight from Yugoslavia to China at the end of at, at the end of it. So I think they were they were getting together all there, making sure people were in you know the right positions so that they can just sort of explode out of you know the the, the starters trap like this when they needed to. And another thing I was I was thinking about in Britain with the thinking about anime Wong must die that that poem is it, it, it's a lot about how we are excluded from the culture and I could never work this out because you know my the family I mixed with most was my the white family I was you know brought up went to school here um was an early punk and and the, the exclusion just just seemed weird you I mean, everyone has to fight anyway to get, you know, parts in things. But it's notorious here that the, the British Chinese were always, have all, you know, long been complaining, why aren't you casting us? You know, why are you casting Yellowface? Why don't we get a look in? I think that's not entirely accidental now, um, looking at this, because if you humanise people, if you have people in roles, um, in an assortment of roles, you are human you're humanizing them and therefore when you need your reservoir of scapegoats to activate it's more difficult to do that so by doing this by having us as a mystery as largely blank canvases i think it's better in america you have you definitely have more asian actors here but here it's that you know we are so invisible it's it's unbelievable and I think in the U.S., I think we also face the problem of being perpetual foreigners. I mean, we have uh, Chinese uh, people who have been in U.S. for three, four generations, like Anna Mae Wong. Um, mm, and the, the, the yellow, yellow face that you brought up, brought up affected her deeply because she wanted to start in the movie Good Earth, you know, the, the yeah. book wrote by Pearl Buck about rural life in China. So she yeah. wanted to star as a Chinese person in a movie about China, but but Hollywood just wouldn't allow that. And instead they have a white woman <laughs> down Louise in yellow Ryan. face. They, they had Louise Ryan in there. I, that. That was actually a big chunk of it. So this program that I made for BBC Radio 4 about anime Wong that was broadcast in 2000 and nine there's a big chart in fact if you go onto my um website 
my blog, Madam Meow, um, you'll you'll and and you just go Google Good Earth and Anna May Wong. There's there, there's quite a bit of stuff that that comes up. Is um, it madammeow.com? It's com. But but I think if you if you if you just searched for Anna Chen Madam Meow, it's probably gonna it, it's probably gonna come up. Okay, and there's okay, a whole great. drop down. In fact, there's I just realised there's a whole drop down menu with um, stuff about it at the top. So it, there's actually an anime Wong Hollywood legend at the top. And various other interesting things that you want to ask. How did you choose uh, the moniker Madam Meow? Well, it was a play on you know who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that all makes sense now. I mean, it's. it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, and yes. I like I mean, by the way, I you know I I really talk about people's politics, but I really like your politics. Uh, oh. That's one reason I, I follow you. I agree with you on so many things. Um, I, one of the things that I remember was reading the book of uh, book Opium War by um, Julia Nobel. Um, oh. You know that book was lauded. By many academics, you know, newspaper publications all say it was amazing. It was, you know, the the kind of definite new history of Opium War. And I remember reading it. I'm like, well, um, okay, some of the facts are correct. Um, you know, when when she's talking about facts, it's okay. But I really, really did not like her interpretation. And she put a lot of subjective interpretation oh, in the book. God. <laughs> That, that's the moment where I started thinking, well, actually, there were moments before that. This is a key moment where I thought, this is the state of Western intelligentsia. Because even I would have thought, even a school kid, you know, do, doing English would understand how to analyse, you know, the way this was being written. All the passive terms, the active terms, the, the vocabulary, what is applied to who, and the the, the, the most telling thing was the photo do you remember the photos at the um about the, the, the there was a a brit who had been who, who was found to have smuggled in several kilograms of heroin into china wow. which yeah. is not a good thing to do now i'm anti death penalty so i think he should have just been chucked into prison and you know, for for a long for a long time, sure. but the yeah. way she presented it, knowing the history, you know, what is the title of her book, The Opium War? Okay, and here we are with a Brit taking in heroin to Britain, so he's arrested. You know, I I actually you know, was opposed to to death death penalty, but at the same time, how many people's lives would that have devastated? And especially after the whole history of you know, what happened was before the Brits came along with their opium wars, you had a, opium smoking was an aristocratic vice. You know, it wasn't very easy to grow. Then then the Brits come along. There, there's this whole balance of trade pet payments and so on where they didn't want to pay in silver and so on. So they needed to find something to, to trade so that we could drink our tea and have our silks and spices here. I remember when I was taught about opium war in U.S. high school, it was presented as um, 
a trade issue as you know the china they're uh, they're xenophobic so they're you know they want to close the market so it's really about free trade you know british really want free trade the trade war now but but they don't explain that the free trade that the British won is really the opium trade because opium was the biggest uh, winner for the British. That was their, their biggest but export. But it's so even worse. It's even worse than people because people think, oh, and I've seen this in, in a recent description of Aster, you know, with all the um, industrial giants who actually made their fortunes from opium saying, oh, well, they were satisfying the craving. No, the craving wasn't there. What happened was Britain grew, they, they uh, it, as part of their industrial revolution, they applied mass production to, um, to the growing of opium for the first time ever. And they then forced these huge quantities of op opium onto China at gunpoint, turning what had been before that an aristocratic addiction, you know, an aristocratic vice into a nationwide addiction. And that is what Lovell left out of her book. This is what everyone is omitted from all the all the narratives. You're lucky if you got to learn about it in, in American schools because we didn't even touch on it here in Britain. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, like the... Um, I, I was reading, I was reading, um, she's actually not the worst one, you know, there, there was a, a scholar, quote unquote, by the name of Frank Dictor, uh, from University of Hong Kong, and he wrote a book arguing that opium wasn't that bad, you know, that, that actually opium trade was good for China. Uh, and this is a guy who wrote, uh, basically wrote about the, the cl widely claimed book on the, the Great Famine in China. You know, he's he's like the the everybody the go to guy for like the the great atrocity Mao brought on China. The, the, the Sorry, Great Famine. Oh, what's his name? Did you say Dakota? Uh, yes, Frank Decotter, yes. Oh my God, no! And all the all the British leftists, Trotskyist leftists, hold him up. Right. I haven't read his book, but I've heard them talk, and I've read bits and quotes from it and thinking, that's not right. You, you know, and um, th this is so, yeah, so that explains what, why so many British leftists quote him. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, and, and I mean, what's amazing is uh, in our, our current context, in the context of US initiating a new Cold War against China, um, there are many so-called left. I call them so-called left because they, uh, you know, they are proposing the so-called uh, third position, right? Like just like the Cold War 1.0, when when people say neither Beijing, neither neither uh, Moscow nor Washington, and yes. now they're trying to reposition it as neither Beijing yeah. nor Washington. But what that really means is that when U.S. is ratcheting up war rhetoric. Yes gearing up for war against China, they are perfectly okay standing by by claiming, well, you know, Beijing is bad too, and uh, then we should just, like, not do anything. Uh, in effect, that's just basically siding with imperialists. Because of course, of course. Now, and, and what's interesting now in Britain is there's, because I've been writing about this for several years, there's now a handful of leftists who are actually doing a, a good job, and I'm, I'm, you know, grateful to, to to them about this, but it 
it's the same thing. It, it, it has to come, it's coming from white people. Because what I found when I was doing the press for the Stop the War anti-Iraq movement, when everyone was saying, oh, you can't engage with them, they're the bourgeois press. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, but you've got to at least, you know, issue press releases if you've got meetings with Jeremy Corp Corbyn, who was just, who's a bank backbencher at that time. You know, you have to do that. They don't want you being an architect. The, the, the pressure, it's so deeply embedded, the racism, it's actually quite interesting. And I think I have um, an, an unusual perspective because I was brought up, as I, as I say um, on my web website, because I was brought up belonging as an English person, you know, in Hackney where everyone was mixed, all sorts of races there. So I have a, a, a confidence and, and I'm embedded in, in the culture um, as much as anybody, as much as anybody else, but you're treated as other, and especially if you won't submit. And this has been sort of the bane of my life, actually, from from teen school age, which is if you don't submit. And someone actually said to me once, it's because you don't have fear in your eyes. If you expect to be seen as an equal, wow, they just hurl everything at you. And they try to keep it out. And I think until the left actually analyzes why they are treating Chinese people on the left in a different way and quite resentful about anything you might do that is um, that, that, that's pioneering, that sticks out, that works, like doing the press for the, for the for stop the war, they just resent it so much. You are not allowed to be an author. You have to, they, they will be happy with you if you are like a sidekick, <laughs> Geek of the Green Hornet. <laughs> yeah, driving... I was just going to say, you know, Bruce Lee's Green, <laughs> Bruce Lee's Cato to Green Hornet. And I think that's why people, you know, people, especially white people, they get shocked when the Asian people speak up, you know, because we're expecting... Especially in US, we're expected to be model minority, you know, the quiet, yeah, hardworking students. I, I was not supposed to talk talk back. Oh, I was probably the first Chinese punk, um, certainly outside America. And um, that it was a sort of a sweet, generous role. But I, I was, you know, I always say I grew up with like Beatlemania in one ear and Yellow Guards in, in, in the other when I was little. So that's that some of my earliest, earliest memories as a, you know, baby. And um, you, so I feel as if I have my, my, my feet in each of two great civilizations and two great cultures. But I'm, I'm basically, you know, a Chinese Brit. I'm, that's at the core of me. But what's shaped me is the way people have responded to me like I'm not, um, like, like I'm not a Brit. And it's just really, really weird. But so the, the main thing is the left have really got to look at where this deeply embedded sinophobia comes from because they wouldn't dare do this quite rightly to black people or Jewish people you know but we are we are the the group that you are allowed to abuse and um we're, we're like the last group that's still socially acceptable to uh, belittle. I mean, like you, you, you know, you, you, it happens even in Oscars, you know, of all places. And 
and you know the because because before yes you know they make fun of jewish people and black people but you know after civil rights movement that's not now not socially acceptable at least in polite companies but mm -hmm. uh, you know somehow that stigma never uh got get attached to anti-asian racism that you know like people can just talk about uh uh, you know, making the, the Asian eyes as a joke all the time. I mean, like it's 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 so ubiquitous that people sometimes people don't even think that's that's racism. Um, that's obvious. That's the obvious stuff. If you read that long piece, um, uh, the, the SWP Stop the War piece that, that that I wrote, and it is it is quite quite long. That's giving you a day to day. This is the subtleties of how the left, the progressives, behave. Right. Oh, yes. I, I One thing I noticed, I'm sorry to interrupt, but one thing I noticed is that, you know, um, you know, I have many friends on the left. Um, uh, many times, you know, they will say things to criticize policy, either foreign or domestic of the United States. You know, so some of them will even go as far as saying, oh, you USA, the shit whole country, you know, mm -hmm. maybe you know, angry uh, retort to something happened, for example, the COVID. And if I were to say that, uh, that's somehow not acceptable. That's if I were to say that, some, so, somehow I am suddenly become like a CCP, yeah. you know, Chinese communist propagandist. Um, and yeah. I, I, I thought about it. Why? Why is that is? And then realize. Well, I mean, obvious is my ethnicity. Yes. Now, so where, where were you born? So I'm actually born in China. I was born in China in 1976, uh, a month after Mao died. Um, so I grew up in China, basically in the post-cultural revolution era. Um, and I spent the entire 1980s in China. Mm. And in 1990, as a 13-year-old, uh, almost 14, I came to the United States. And I stayed in the United States until last year. So I spent a good 29 years in US, uh, you know, more, more than more, more than the time I spent in China, in fact. Yeah. Um, and America is culturally very strong. So it's so you will have had, you know, you'll have been absorbing all, all of that as well. Sure. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, now I am but even nowadays, you know, it, it, it depends. There's there's a there's a wide range, right, opinions of, among Americans. Uh, you know, there, there were some people who who accept me as Chinese American, but uh, there are many people just um, you know just assume I'm I'm, you know, I because I'm Chinese, I must uh, be the spokesman for China. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, considering that Asiatics were the first people into the Americas, it is quite, quite strange, you, you know, because you, it, what is it, 400 years ago that the Europeans, you know, went over to the, to the Americas. And it's just, you know, you look at Aboriginal people in Australia and America and the way they've been treated, uh, you know, it, it worries me that people's memories are short it's like there's no connection there's there's no critical analysis going on anymore anymore in the west it's do you know what it, it, it's like the noise they deliberately throw hurling all this stuff at people because your amygdala flips and you can no longer think logically and suddenly it's like you know, at some point i mean a lot of the 
I think the guilt uh, about the genocide of Aboriginal people are, you know, is it, still there in the subconscious. And what, how it gets expressed is now U.S. is projecting all oh, its past, like, all its sins onto China. Like, totally. you know, like, because, totally. <laughs> because U.S. did this in the past, because U.S., uh, you know, committed genocide on Native Americans. So China must be doing the same thing on Tibetans and Uyghurs, you know, because U.S. Uh, in its uh, in its. Uh, uh, building up its uh, economy did did all this because U.S. became a, a, a global hegemon, become an imperialist country. Then it follows if China become powerful, then China yes. must be the next imperialist. Uh, for me, yeah. it's it's uh -huh. just American exceptionalism wrapped up in as like the gospel truth. And, and, and I have to explain to people, like, no, not everybody thinks like you. You know, I, I know, like, you assume everybody. Yeah. Is, it, yeah. They're paranoia, their fear that, oh, if we feel like this, that means that others must, must feel like this. Therefore, we mustn't ever put them in a position where they can do to us what we've done to everyone else. Exactly. So, so from, you see, my take about... Uh, what's happening in China is basically they know that if you know my, my one of my ideals is a rising tide floats all boats I think China basically wants to sell people stuff it wants to get some stability it wants to, de to deal with the environment it just wants everything cycling nicely and yeah. and I think yeah that be, being a, a huge country, you're going to have bureaucrats. You, you know, there are asshats in every group. It, you, no one has a monopoly on, on, on asshats. But somehow in China, you get it, everything is exaggerated. So they take a germ, what might be a germ of truth, and they build it up into this huge, monstrous um, reflection of themselves. Because, you, you, you know, the, the sleep of reason of uh, vacuums produce monsters and that's what's happening the problem is there's no adult walking into the room and saying hold on you're making this claim but actually this is the situation because i guess you know well like murdoch to me he's obviously getting revenge this is the revenge of an old man on china for wendy deng um you, you, <laughs> She is well, out the fact that Murdoch have tried for years trying to enter the Chinese market and yeah. he was denied. You know, one of the reasons I think one it's, of the reasons he brought on when the uh, then is not just sexual, it's also business because he wanted that business tied to China. And uh, Wendy then was his ticket, but that, that yes. didn't work out for him. But I, I, I think there is a deeper visceral level. I think there's some real psychological weird stuff going going on there as well. Underneath, it, yeah, the obviously the you know the business, the um, imperative to make profits and so on. I think it, you know when it's actually joined so so much with with this other force, it makes for something very very super evil. And then you have Jeff Bezos, who looks like he's going to be the first trillionaire in the world. And I think, well, what happened to the anti monopoly laws in in America? That didn't didn't seem to work very well. So his Washington Post, I mean, it's just lie after lie after lie, and there's no right of reply in any of these 
Um, yep. And because they own all the newspapers, Betso owns Betso Post, the Washington Post, <laughs> and 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 in America is basically it's it's becoming more and more obvious as years goes on that U.S. is truly ruled by business oligarchs, oh. uh, you know. and, and especially in, in the light of what they did to Bernie in the last two elections. I mean, it's there, there's there even. Um, the 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 vested interests they're so, they're so selfish and greedy and want to hold on to their gains they're blocking any attempt to add reform I mean you seen I think you guys seen that with Corbyn in uh, in UK as well it's it's just very disheartening it, it is but I would say that I had just as much of a problem when I was doing the stop the war anti Iraq war press. But of course, you know, they're going to throw everything at you, but you have to counter it. You have to have plans. You have to have fact files. You have to have a rapid rebuttal unit. And even though I did Corbyn's breakthrough press, unfortunately, you have to remember, if you look at the composition of Team Corbyn, you had two very privileged white guys, Seamus Milne and um Andrew Murray, who's the son of a baronet, whose whose daddy's literally owned castles. Um, you had a lot of sons, daughters, girlfriends in that team. You had nobody doing the work. Now, um, McDonald, who I'd actually in 2010, I offered um, him, you know, for, for, that I would do do his press, didn't even get back to me. A couple of times I asked him, uh, didn't get back to me. Okay, fine. I thought he must have his own super team of, of press. That that's that's great, but they never they never did. So you have to remember. Yes, while it is true that the forces of reaction were throwing everything at Corbyn, they themselves were on a self sabotage. Um, Yes. Trajectory because they never ever did any of the th things, you know, that are just the basics, just the basics, a rapid rebuttal unit. And I'm afraid I'm seeing that a bit with China at the moment. Yeah. I mean, right now it's, uh, I think, you know, pr I think China is a bit caught by surprise by this sudden turn events in US because they thought they had everything figured out. You know, mm -hmm. China was very proactive to join the global uh, economy after the reform and opening in, in after 78. Yeah. And after that, it, it, it worked very well. The globalization worked very yeah. well in China. As you say, you, it's a tide that lifts all boats in China. And, and China benefited from this arrangement of globalization. And they, they expected to continue. But now we're at a point where U.S. elite feels that it's a, if they allow, you know, allow the status quo to continue, it, it threatens the U.S. hegemony, which is true. And but yeah. that becomes unacceptable to our elite. And so they're doing they're fighting tooth and nails to prevent yeah you know, China to, to to climb that ladder. You see, you've got two dynamics going on. You've got rats in a sack, which is what's going on in in, in America. They're all fight, fighting each other. Um, 
And then, you, and then you've got crabs in a pot, which is their foreign policy, which is they can see China getting above itself, but about to climb out of the bucket. And then what happens? The other crabs hold on to the crab that's trying to get out and will drag it back, back in. So they would rather that Britain, that we were all nailing ourselves to the USS Titanic as it goes down rather than doing the same as they did in 2000 and after 2008 after the crash and saying wow china's our life is our lifeboat it can float us all out of trouble instead they 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 they're trying to blow up the lifeboat because they think they're going to do better this is just ridiculous i actually have an ideal this is how i i wish it had been played out that is that you've got Americans making tons of money from 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 China anyway. You've got working and middle class people who've been able to buy all their stuff cheap, while the upper echelons have been siphoning off their national wealth in the in the form of tax cuts. So you've ended up with 0.1 percent in America who own as much as the bottom 90 percent of the population. It's something. It's something like that. It's completely. Um, out, out of kilter now so all they they've sucked it dry all they can do is go go abroad and and have more wars and, and suck other countries dry but i think given that we had climate change which is a huge huge fearful you know th thing we're, we're looking at it should have been america working with china to to deal with climate change instead of have, having a president who's actually building up fossil fuels while all this is going along. So I think a lot of this is a deflection while he um, strengthens fossil fuels and is destroying this, this planet. That, that, is, that is one thing. <clears throat> one of the um, problems is, is structural. It's a structural problem with liberal democracy because everything is so fixated to the election cycle. You know, everybody is... Uh, focus laser focus on winning the next election and mm. and that you know people don't worry about the long term because in the long term they will be out of the office who cares it's yeah, like exactly. <laughs> this is this is why their system that we're now really seeing up close and loud the 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 faults in that system, which I think is outdated and needs to change, and what China's doing. You see, I see China, I mean, I think there is a problem with, there are authoritarian attitudes that I, I don't like. I see it in my own in, in my own extended family and think, whoa, that's, that's not terribly enlightened. But I think they're going in the right direction. So I see it almost as like an upward channel. And you've got the, the, the you've got, they, they do something really brilliant, then they have a pullback. Then they do something brilliant, then they have a pullback. But it's going towards the light. It's going in the right direction. And I think also you've got another generation coming up who are so bright, they're beautiful, they're idealistic. They remind me of the best of the American and British youth in like the 60s and 70s, you know, who were, who were trying to fight injustice. They were for civil rights in America, if you think of, of, of that movement. Um, culturally, you know, creatively, artistically, there was so much happening. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I want to see happening with China. And I think that's starting to happen now. And I desperately do not want anyone putting the brakes on this, because I think this is the next phase in our 
in our hu humanity. You know, and the, and the other thing that the West forget, that they don't realise, is those communists that they hate, they all drew on Western philosophers. It's all Marx and Hegel and Kant, yes. you know, those ideals. The feudal Chinese, who were, you know, basically the warlord class and certain people are... Certain Chinese, you know, the diaspora Chinese who we all know and love, you know, they are very much from the old feudal mentality. So it's actually in the West's interest to try and get the best out of the ones who were, you know, come draw from the tradition that was educated in Paris, for example. You know, that's the ideal, right? But as we all know, the real world, when the ideal meets the real world, something happens. And, and you know, what as we have seen in most recent history, the West, Western government actually prefers the feudal type, the warlords, because yeah. they're easier to manipulate and yes. easier to control. They don't want like progressive. Uh, headstrong, yeah. independent Chinese who ha can make up their own mind and 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 say no to to the West. They want more pliable, weak. Yeah. Yes. And as above, so below. So this is what I'm saying. My my history with with the left, you see this dynamic played out on a one to one. So it was quite alarming to think. Ah, oh, so that's what's happening uh, because you you see this happening now on the geopolitical stage. It's like left, you need to get your heads together and examine yourselves, introspect. You need to know where these drives are coming from. You need to understand yourself. But unfortunately, a lot of leftists think, oh, it's bourgeois. You know, if if you actually examine examine yourself, <laughs> and I, this is you. Anybody who does not know themselves. I think can be tossed around hither and thither, yes, you know. Yes. Well, Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu in the Art of War said, you know, know, know thyself, know your enemies. You will win hundred battles. You will win a <laughs> hundred times. But you know, people, uh, it, it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to examine yourself. That's that's always the hardest part. It's a lot easy to project your own failure to others. You know, blame the immigrants, <laughs> blame other countries, blame the evil doers, and. It's not grown up, is it? it? It's not. It's like you haven't matured. If you're incapable of stepping back and saying, oh, why did I say that? Oh, that was actually that's wrong. And people are going to be hurt. And where's that coming from in, 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 in me? Is, is that actually based on facts or is that some some drive I already have going in, in inside? And it's very depressing because we used to be able to do this in the West. Every, everybody used to do this. People were into philosophy, into yeah. psychology, you know, poetry, all these different things. So it was it was sort of in the ether that everyone was able to um, look at themselves or a large not everybody, but a, a large enough portion of the population was able to do that, and mostly of the boomers that this was, that I think it formed a critical mass and it actually led us into good places. Whereas now I just look look at what some of the left are, are saying and I just, just think you're, it, it's primitive. It, it's so backward. I think one of the problem is that it's a lot easier to unite the right than the left because on the right, it's it's very clear, you know, people want to protect their property. <laughs> and so so it's very easy to unite around that very simple idea. Whereas on the left, there's all kind of factions. Uh, there's all different ideas about how 
how you know how everything needs to be how the world needs to be organized so there's always you know the, the left is always fractitious there's always infighting you know people spend more times fighting amongst themselves oh, yes. you know, different <laughs> I know it's like when I was doing the press for um it's really funny for Socialist Alliance I was I was told by one of the um the the higher ups to to do over Paul Mason who'd actually done something good at that time I mean now I just you know I'm just disgusted with with him on, on, on lots of different levels but I remember we were supposed, it was supposed to be an alliance of the left. And there I was being instructed to use the E-lists to humiliate him and one other when they'd actually done a good job because it was a threat to this other party. And I just, I just refused to do that. I said, you can't. If we have set this up so that it, we are supposed to be changing old patterns and getting all the left together you know, strong, you can't start picking them off and having this internecine warfare and no, I'm not going to do it. And unfortunately, that... Yeah, especially <laughs> when the right is always united. You know, that's how, you know, you, you know, like, all the, the Trump uh, Trump space is going to come out and vote for him no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> and, What's and, that, and, 20%? Yeah, and, and, but, you know, but... In a way, of course, you know, U.S. Uh, Democrats are shooting themselves in the foot because they, they're putting out Biden, who's really not that different from Trump fundamentally. They, they're just right now. It's just you're, you're presenting people with two very unappetizing choices. <laughs> and, and, and at the what, beginning, though, at the beginning, Biden was actually defending China. I remember him laughing at someone saying, oh, you think China's eating our lunch? Because, of course, uh, the, the trade war um, argument was that, oh, we've got this this um, balance of trade and it's, we've got a lot more going out than we've got coming in. Well, that is if you if you cheat the numbers, because when you look at the in-country, in within China, the sales and services by the big American corporations like Coca-Cola, you know, um, uh, there's, there's a KFC in every corner in Chinese exactly. cities. McDonald's. And, and um, I just I just look at the numbers. Uh, it actually, Apple sells twi almost twice as many iPhones in China than they do in U.S. And I was just I just did a tweet on on Twitter. I said, well, you know, you know, what's the impact of uh, of Trump's WeChat ban is going to be? Um, it's good. That means that Apple is going to have zero phone sale in China now, because oh. if you're going to ban WeChat on Apple Store, nobody, nobody in China is going to buy a phone without WeChat. You know, you're just oh. killing Apple sales in China right there. That's that. That's really interesting. But two years ago, the surplus, the to there was that America actually enjoyed a surplus with China, including those those sales of something like twenty four billion. So so the, the, it, it, it it's just rid ridiculous that it was a, always a bogus argument. I mean, I thought I, I I was really alarmed at the beginning of this because I thought I know where this is going. I know where this is headed. This is headed for war. And if you look on my Madam Meow blog you'll see if you go back through the dates you, you you'll see what, what i'm writing about and seeing where the, where this is where this is going yeah but, i remember 2008 when gm was going bankrupt in u.s they were actually making a lot of money in china you know G uh, gm 
GM China was raking in dough while you know GM US was struggling. And, yeah. and pe but people don't see this. Instead of you know you, I, I think a lot of the um, conversations, a lot of discourse on China in the West has always been projection. I mean that goes back hundreds of years. When people talk about China, they're really not talking about China. They're using China as a foil to talk about their own society. You know, to, to oh, cast their own mirror. They 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 they've tried to they are trying to turn China into a dark mirror of their own soul. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I I I'm in complete complete agreement. Um. So we're coming up to fifty-two minutes. I I don't know how how many times do you have? I'm all right. It's it's, it's well nowadays. I don't think any of us have a really full social diary here. That's in true. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, true. Do you know what I'm just I'm just so worried about which because I think now I think this is a little window and um, I think come, come September if they make kids go back to schools you know and everyone's going to be indoors um i think i think it's we're headed for a bad winter so i'm trying to prepare for this oh, i'm trying yeah. to grow to grow my own food in case the food um, supply wow. chains give out wow i mean i i never thought it got it would be this bad i mean when, when the COVID news uh, first came out in china Mm. I thought, oh, this thing is gonna blow over in a couple months, and yeah. well, it yeah. did in China. <laughs> it did blow over in China because China actually put in a very effective uh, countermeasures. Um, yeah, which remember how everyone was jealous. Every, everyone mocked them. They said, "Oh, this is they're being authoritarian. We'll never need to do this." Are those masks? Yeah. <laughs> and and now today, I mean, I just saw. Um, Daniel Dumbro posted a video from a small city in China that he, he visited. People are out dancing without masks because you know uh, the, the yeah. they have they have eradicated COVID in that city. I mean, there there are like regional outbreaks. You know, I have um, I just reached out to my contacts on WeChat uh, in, from some some Uyghur contacts in Xinjiang because now there are people accusing me on Twitter of never talk to Uyghur. So I'm like, okay, okay. Let me let me at least talk to my Uyghur friends today. <laughs> and I so so they are having a little mini outbreak right now. And then uh but but everything is so organized now because not now the, the, the Chinese government have figured out the drill. So you know they their their residential compound is under lockdown. Everybody gets a nuclear eye test and yeah. And, and social distancing, so forth. So I'm sure they're gonna, you know, taking care of that in, in, in a short time. Um, we're an island, though. Britain is an island. We should be at the stage where all we're doing is stamping out flare-ups, and we're still arguing about whether to wear masks or not. That's incredible. That I mean, UK and US. I don't know if it's something in the Anglo culture, but you know, oh. UK and U US are the worst. Um, in terms of uh, you know, I I seen videos of people in Florida and other parts of U.S. They they uh, they they they're, they're loudly proclaiming you know it's their God-given rights to breathe yeah. free without mask. I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> and, oh, I, I, and but look look at their their death their case rates now in Florida. Yeah, yeah. I'm I you know I'm right now in. Uh, 
in Bali, um, you know, I thought the tourism will be make me really jealous. Tell oh. me how <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, sorry, I it wasn't meant to be a brag. Um, oh, no. I, mean, I, I stumble here by by quite quite by accident actually, because I was uh, originally I only planned to come here for one month because um, I, I love to surf and I know Bali is a surfer paradise. Um, so one day I was surfing and I was talking to people at Surfline uh, and I was just being polite asking them, oh, how long have you been here? I expect them to say oh, a couple of days or like a few weeks, uh, but they, they're like five years. I thought, wow, five years, how do you do that? Uh, they're saying, oh, it's quite simple, really. You just do visa runs. So, so that, that got me thinking, you know, well, maybe I could do that too. Yeah. And, and I'm now, now looking back, I'm glad, I'm glad I made that decision. You know, I don't want to go back to US anytime soon. Well, do you know, as a kid, that's, that's sort of how I ended up falling in love with Cornwall because they have great surfing beaches there, as you know, you know, oh. Newquay especially. So I used to, I was taken down there first of all holidays with my my family. My aunt and uncle had their honeymoon there in the oh I think wow. going back to the fifties. But I remember you know going down there. I just loved the people. I loved St Ives, especially. I fell in love with this place called St Ives, which is an artist's colony as well with a lot of history. But I remember as I as I was getting older, look, looking at the guys in their wetsuits on Paulsmere Beach. And there is something about a wetsuit. It can make the most plainest looking bloke look like a god. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's tight. It's tight. I, it just, but it's, it's shiny and black. <laughs> <laughs> and they're doing so, something a- active. And I remember, you know, I sit on the beach going, ah. <laughs> I wish I'd learned that. I did have the chance to to learn and I, and I really regret it because all my mates down there down there were, were, oh. were surfing oh it's never too late to learn um you know how to swim right yeah oh yeah then then you <laughs> have no problem yeah i was i was thinking maybe, maybe i should do that in my my sunset years plan plan to be to be down there and invest in a shiny black wetsuit <laughs> Oh, yes. Your waters up there is cold. Uh, I almost forgot, you know, like I came from California. We have to wear wetsuit in LA, too, because there's a cold current running from Alaska all the way down to Mexico. And, and But I've been in Bali for seven, eight months. Uh, no, I've been in Bali for a year. And now I forgot what it's like to wear a wetsuit. Uh, <laughs> so. Did you fall in love there? Is that why you ended up staying? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I... I, after a couple months, I, I kind of make up my mind that I wanted to stay in Bali uh, yeah. because, you know, Indonesia is still very, relatively very inexpensive. Um, you know, so I thought I could really stretch out my money here. And I was lucky not to grow my, uh, you know, Patreon subscriber to a point that I can survive on my, just on my Patreon income in Bali. because oh, it's, wow. it's Yeah, well, because, no, well done. because it's cheap. So I'm doing what I love I mean like people always say you should you should do what you love and and now yeah. I'm 40 going to be 44 this year I'm finally finally doing what I love which is surfing <laughs> and and, and uh, 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 ship posting on Twitter and then talking because I love to talk yeah no f- fantastic life lifestyle I, I think it, it's very good and also if anything unpleasant does 
um, happen geopolitically, you're probably in a in a good <laughs> good place. <laughs> I I hope I'm downwind from the you know from the nuclear uh, yeah. <laughs> mushroom clouds. Well, I'm uh, trying to work out because it's like I'm you know I'm just, I'm just sort of outside London and I'm thinking oh brilliant. <laughs> I mean, what a nightmare that we're even thinking about this, that they can even be considering this. How monstrous is this? I, I mean, th things really shifted in the last two years. I never thought, you know, I, my, my Chinese-American friends, uh, you know, we are all in Facebook Messenger group. Uh, like today, they were talking about how the scenario would play out if U.S. Uh, national security establishment get to play out their fantasy of limited war against China. Oh. And this is, I mean, I, I tweet about that on, on Twitter because I tweet everything. And I just thought, you know, things have really moved fast in yeah. the last If they're even thinking. Years. Because most people outside China who haven't been to China don't understand they are modern, huge cities. They are as developed as us. They have their own inner lives these people they have their souls and we're thinking about because it would be hundreds of millions and not just in china of course but we're talking about you know the, the nuclear cloud going around the whole world it means we're we're, we're all screwed just because they're these old men and women and that i include nancy pelosi cold war warrior in this as well all because they want to get to play with the toys before they exit or, or because they want to win the election, because I just uh, heard the news that um, uh, that the the Trump's national security advisor, deputy's uh, national security advisor, Matt Pottinger, in one of the White House brainstorming sessions, said, "You know, now it's a time that U.S. Uh, can move forward with recognizing Taiwan independence, because oh. to do so." We can show the communist Chinese that, you know, when we banned TikTok, when we banned Huawei, they didn't do anything. They were impotent. And, and on the economic front, if we, if we recognize Taiwan, we can show them they're impotent in the political front. And, and this move will, will be large enough to carry Trump in the next election because now we're what few months from the election. And, and if tension does break out with China, you know, the public will rally around the flag, so that will possibly yeah. give Trump another turn. And that's how people think. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy it's, that people even degenerate. think about this. Just, just It's a completely degenerate, anti-human um, attitude to have. And these are the people who think they have the moral high ground. It, it is just... It, it, it's just un unbelievable that they don't get because maybe it's because they're all brought up on video games. I don't think they've developed themselves inside because it's actually, actually I, I, I just tweeted out something today that I said the people, the, the U.S. government planners are, are planning to wage a, a war on China right now. None of yeah. them probably play this game Fallout. Uh, there was a there was a video game series that came out in U.S. Uh, in early '90s called Fallout. Um, uh -huh. the, 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 the the premise of the game is that there was a war between U U.S. and China that ended in nuclear exchange, and the mm -hmm. world was basically destroyed. And now people are living in the post-nuclear apocalypse, yeah. and you are trying to pick up the pieces and. 
and the and the reason they pick a, a U.S. China confrontation is because originally they had a had had planned between U.S. and Soviet Union, but as the game just finished, the Soviet Union collapsed. So they thought,、wow. okay, people are not going to buy that argument. So、yeah. they they substituted Soviet with China. And and back then, when I I remember I was in college when the game first came out, I thought, oh, this is such a ridiculous idea. You know, obviously did a last minute substitution just because Soviet Union collapsed. But、yeah. now looking back, I realize they're prescient. <laughs> but they're quite prescient. About this, you know, because after the collapse of Soviet Union, the 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 U.S. national security establishment has been looking for another excuse to maintain their you know trillion dollar defense budget to maintain、exactly. NATO, and、exactly. and they try to fit China into the shoe that was left over by Soviet Union. It, it, they they have been trying that for the last you know. Like like you mentioned, since '90s, but before it wasn't quite convincing because China economy was still like around the size of Brazil, I think, in the early '90s. But now China actually does look much more formidable. It's now the second world's second largest economy, and and it's it, it's it's still rising, and and especially with. 2008、uh, recession that coincided with Beijing Olympics. Oh, that's when, yes, like, yes. like the the more modern image of China gets being into every American household, and and people in U.S. woke up and will go, "Wow, China is so、mm-hmm. advanced." You know, we we thought they're all in like Mao suits and you know coolie hats, and <laughs> and then then suddenly the I saw the narrative shifted. It became like. China was a backward authoritarian feudal country. To、uh, you know, China is going to eat our lunch. This crazy、yeah. super techno surveillance state that's going to eat our lunch. Oh, Mitt Romney helped to set up. It's Mitt, Mitt Romney's Bain Capital that actually helped put all the CCTVs in China. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> It's funny that you know we're talking like sometimes BBC talk about China in terms of surveillance state. I'm like, wait a minute, London, London、yeah. is the place with most cameras. Yeah, and also while we, it's 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 the hypocrisy is just hilarious because we're saying, oh look, China, they've got CCTVs and facial recognition. At the same time, we're trying it out. It's only because we're envious because we tried it out here, and there's a place called Romford. Just outside London, where they tried this this scheme, and they ended up fining some bloke who refused、uh, who, who refused to show his face, and it's like, well, this is how Britain's going to be. So, so it's like every time they scream an accusation at China, now it makes me think, ah, what is it they've done? What is it America's done? Because if you see, it keeps pace. It mirrors what they're accusing China of. Is exactly mirroring what they themselves are are doing. So、That's, when it's so just, obvious in the tech war against China, because all the U.S.、Uh, uh, intelligence agencies are complaining, you know, Chi- Chinese government could potentially comb over all the user data,、um, you know, but. You, people are, buy, are buying into that. I mean, it's amazing to me.、Yeah. What's Chinese government gonna do with your data? You know, what, what,、yeah. like you what? know, Chinese government really have nothing better to do to monitor、oh. like the user data of some American teenagers <laughs> uploading、yeah. TikTok videos when you, as American citizen, are constantly under monitoring, electric monitoring by NSA, by FBI. 
And guess what? Chinese government do not have jurisdiction over you. Chinese government have jurisdiction over Chinese citizens, but they have no jurisdiction over Westerners. And and if you're in U.S., the last thing you need to worry about is China. You better worry about, you know, NSA reading about your emails. But that's what this is. This is all about. Everything they are throwing at China is a is is a diversion from the mess that America is in. The fact that they've got 160,000 dead. It's, it could, this could go to a quarter of a million people are dying. They're having a cull in in Britain and uh, and America. It, essentially, they you know all the piracy that's gone on. The the the, the way they you have a class, you know. Nobody's looking at, at this as a as a as a class thing. Where, where where you have the billionaires who run the two wings of the American capitalist political system, because I, the, you know, what choice is there really now between the Dems and the Republicans? They both they 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 both run by billionaires, the Koch brothers, and 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 so on, and this tiny little stratum at the top where all the the wealth is accreted so so, but people have lost the ability well actually i say that but i think there are a lot of ordinary brits who aren't actually buying what they're being told about china like i've heard people saying well hold on they were doing really brilliantly china was doing really brilliantly at the beginning of the, the coronavirus and it's just working chipping away chipping away you know with our memories and Goebbels, I think this all goes back to the Goebbels playbook anyway. You tell the big lie. And yes. <laughs> you just keep on repeating. That's what Trump administration have been doing. That's what Western media have been doing about. Uh, they've been beating on the the China lie people die story since oh, the January. Guardian. The Guardian, yes. who I have, what I've written, I've actually written for the, for, for the Guardian as a, as a freelance but they did so. So I'll give you a for instance because this has been going on for ages. I mean, I I have to say it's really a year ago that I started to feel strongly defensive of China because before that it's like, well, you know, they get. I've I've always been sympathetic to to China and wanted them to do well. But it's really watching what was happening in Hong Kong, and uh, just just seeing how it, it's just in the last year that that I've feel that i've seen right through it so yeah so sorry back to the guardian so do you remember there were two young men who were shot by police and yeah. the guardian described them as being schoolboys shot point blank at uh, point blank rage by police now that you know gives you the impression of police who are brutal who are just you know firing on peaceful protesters what they didn't tell you, which was what we were able to see because of the the, the internet, was that um, one of them, well, the first one, was engaged in a running battle with police with iron bars, metal bars, and they had cornered one of the policemen, and there he was the guy was actually swinging to 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 hit the the policeman. Oh, now, this was Hong Kong we're talking about, right? In Hong 
Kong in Hong yes, Kong. Yes, yes, I remember that incident. Right. There was, uh, there was, uh, you know, there's tons of coverage in Hong Kong. You know, we see image of like one policeman in the corner and this group, a crowd of photographers yeah. aiming their camera at him. And what we see on CNN, what we see on New York Times, is the image of threatening police with their gun. And, and we just don't see the other part, the whole footage. When we see the whole footage of the video, we realize, oh, bef just before that, they, uh, they're, they're these thugs in, in, in black clad thugs, they're beating the police with a metal rod. So, so the Guardian described that event and also the, the next one, because there are only two, just think in a year of this, only two, two of them have been, been shot and survived. And they, you know, they didn't do what the British police do, which is the double tap to the head. They didn't do what American police do, which is fill you with lead. So the, the Guardian described this guy who got shot as a schoolboy shot point blank range by police. So I tweeted, I messaged the writers, two, two, two of them on there. I said, well, actually, this is wrong because, this, you know, this is what happened. They're actually engaged in this running battle. They're about to, you know, attack the police. They've been doing... Um, for a long time they refused to do it and they doubled down they kept repeating this a schoolboy and you see they've it's almost like i don't know whether they've been told directed to do this but the phrase was you know schoolboy shot up point blank range and with the second bit of footage where um this cop is grappling with one protester and this other guy is advancing on him and actually grabs the gun the, the footage that most people showed ended just before the, the young bloke grabs the gun. And I have to say, CNN's Anderson Cooper, he actually brought this up. He questioned, he questioned that. He said, but to, to the report, there's a reporter actually on the ground in Hong Kong. And Anderson Cooper said, but, but the guy was grabbing for the gun. And that was a rare sign. I, I like Anderson Cooper, actually. I think he's coming from an honest, an, an honest place. Yeah. Um, but it was an example of how The Guardian had complete, has been completely turning everything on its head, refusing to condemn any of the violence against, you know, mainly women and elderly men there. You know, the killing of the janitor, the, the immolation of the, the guy on the, on the bridge, they just complete, it's just blank. They might mention it once in one phrase within a sentence and then it's gone. So they're not reporting in good faith. It is absolutely drumming up this hate, this China hate, because they want another Iraq war, but this time it's going to be with the nuclear power. Yeah, and people actually, it, it turns, this narrative is so powerful that people actually think hundreds of people in Hong Kong have been killed by the police, yes, which is totally false. Nobody I, died from the police action exactly, in Hong and Kong. I, and I keep pointing this up to Lisa Nandy and all the all the all these hawks. You know, I keep showing them the, the, um, the footage saying, well, you condemn this. And, and why, why are you taking this attitude when last year 1,004 Americans were killed by cops in one year? year. They're zero in Hong Kong. So what they, they have is more people being killed per week in their protests in America than there have been in a whole year of riots in Hong Kong. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's what's really... Um, 
politicized me quite strongly. And what's amazing is a lot of U.S. conservatives, you know, they're openly supporting the Hong Kong protests. And and when the protests broke out in U.S., in Portland, uh, in Seattle, suddenly they're all like wave flag waving, you know, like demanding rioters to be shot. You know, we have the Senator Tom Cotton, who could be possibly the next Republican candidate after Trump. He was the one that was calling the troops to come to Washington. I mean, this is a guy who warned the world, U.S., that China is going to send People's Liberation Army into Hong Kong to do a Tiananmen 2.0, right? And I tweeted to the effect that, Oh, everybody expected Tiananmen 2.0 happening in Hong Kong, but actually, <laughs> Tom Cotton is making that happening in Washington. I, I mean, that's just amazing. I mean, yeah, like the- Tom, Tom Cotton is is also the charmer who, in at the end of January, joined in these um, claims that the virus was created in the in the Wuhan. Yes. As a, a, as a weapon, so there was um, Radio Free Asia, Bannon, Tom Cotton, um, Gert, some 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 guy in you know, in a, one of the Washington newspapers, all claiming this in in January that you know, and even, yes. even the Pentagon has said, well, actually, <laughs> you know, about, he about Steve Bannon. So I just found out recently, like last month. That you know, after he got booted out from uh, White House, uh, he was kind of wandering around for a while, and then he really latched on the anti-China well, bandwagon. Yeah, and I well, just find out reason why because he was on the bankroll of an exiled Chinese billionaire, yeah, Miles Quack, exactly. AKA, also known as Guo. Guo. Yeah, Miles Miles Quack. Yeah, the exile. Yeah, yeah, his English name, he, he had somehow adopted like an anglicized name, Miles Kwok, but his Chinese name is uh, Guo Wenhui, uh, or yeah. Guo Wenhui, and, and Guo Wenhui bankrolled Steve Bannon, you know, they, yes. they together they, on, on his own private yacht, <laughs> and they, they announced like the, the foundation of a, of a federated state of China. So at the time people saw yeah. in New York, they saw the, the uh, a banner being flew uh, by by plane says what uh, celebrating federated state of China. So people all just assume that's some crazy communist propaganda. But in fact, it was this exiled Chinese, this anti yeah. anti CCP Chinese yeah. billionaire who hired uh, Steve Bannon to do his PR. And 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 it's just so amazing that everybody's hoodwink and and but like. You know- so, 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 so they were making these claims at the end of January, though, and Li yes. Jian, who they, they've accused of being a wolf warrior. Do you know when he responded to all these? So they're doing this at the end of January. It wasn't until March yeah. that Li Zijian, suddenly he, you know, it's like, right, we've had enough. I'm going to respond to this. Now, I don't think he responded in the right way, but it was too much. Suddenly, everyone's accusing them of wolf warrior, of being wolf warriors. It's like, it's been... Like nearly two months, no one's responded. They defend yep. themselves, and suddenly they're wolf warriors. That's just yep. so. What yep. do you yep. think they want? Because if they want regime change, I mean, you're going to have people like that, oh, Gordon Chang, and and oh, Grow, and all all those people. Well, Gordon Chang is such Chang. a joke. Uh, I mean, I, I jokingly call him Uncle Chan because he has yeah. been. He's famous for that 2001 book. 
coming collapse of China. Yes. China has been coming collapse for 19 years, still coming. And then this guy is still being fitted around in all the major U.S. mainstream channels. So he goes on CNN, he goes on Fox, he goes on MSNBC. I mean, how do you like? I think I just heard a term recently called "fail your way to the top." He, he <laughs> this guy, if anybody, this guy is it. You know, you have been wrong for 19 years. You just get rewarded because you are telling people that what they want to hear, and what they want to hear is China will fail. U.S. is strong, and that's that's what he's giving them the, the comfort, the psychological comfort, and and I I I think so. To respond to your earlier question, what do what do I think they want. I think um, first, U.S. elite is actually not a united force. You know, as you talk about earlier, they are very factitious. They're just rats fighting, <laughs> fighting a bucket. Um, and and right now, um, it's just politically expedient for both parties to place the blame for the country's ill on China because it's a lot easier to blame foreigners. Bring. Blame another country.、Um, at the same time, Trump, for reason of his own re-election, is ratcheting up all these anti-China measures, including the ban of TikTok, including ban of、uh, of WeChat, and and including Matt Pottinger talking about recognizing Taiwan. It was just a ploy to for the for the re-election. But on the other hand, there's also the U.S. national security establishment, or or some people refer to as the deep state, the Pentagon, the the CIA, they what they want. They have been China hawks for a long time, as you mentioned. They have been China hawks for since nineteen nineties,、uh, <laughs> last century, and they wanted some 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 entity to replace the role of Soviet Union, so they can con- continue their sweet gig. Of milking U.S. taxpayers for、oh, all the、yeah. all that sweet defense dollars. I don't think even Pentagon really want a war per se with with China. What they want is to continually ratchet up the tension so they can ju- continually justify the increase in the defense budget. Because the U.S. Navy、uh, was on record of saying they want a 355 ship navy, right? It's <laughs> a lot of ships, and then the. Told Trump, Carter said, "You know why China's doing so well? Because they poured all their money into their infrastructure, and they don't have wars." Yes, yes. I mean, it's so obvious, but but for, but it's job for U.S.、Uh, for these people working in defense industry. It's jobs, jobs, jobs. Because now U.S. is at the point where、um, not only things have been made in domestically is. Uh, you know, banks, financial services, which is very rigged, and the t- high tech sector, which is under threat from innovation from China. That's why the ban on TikTok, because you know,、um, when the because Facebook is really against TikTok because they they saw TikTok potentially eating away at their market share. When the four U.S. tech top tech executives were called upon Congress to testify whether whether China. Uh, you know, is a threat, or whether China is、uh, stealing our our technology. Three of them kind of, you know, 
an odd and not giving a definite answer, but Mark, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, he <laughs> just jumped on it and said, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> because Facebook really wanted to kill TikTok. So, so there's that side, the business interest too. Uh, mm. it, traditionally in the 90s, you know, in US there was two camps. There was an engagement camp versus the containment camp. The containment camp is, is represented by the US national security establishment by Pentagon, by intelligence services, and they want to get tough with China. The, the, the engagement camp is, is basically the, the so-called China lobby, the, the business, the big business, because they want to go yes. to China to exploit the cheap labor. They want, they, yeah. They're salivating at the prospect of a huge, large Chinese market. So yeah. there, was a, there was a balance. So there was a balance in 1990s throughout 2000. But what happened in the last few years is that Chinese industry have been become so competitive that yeah. the American industry find themselves being outcompeted. I mean, we have we seen that in TikTok, we've seen that in Huawei. You know, Huawei become a major threat because um, you know previously Huawei there was an economic integration between China and U.S. Huawei depending on American chips produced by an American company Qualcomm, right? And and Huawei um, yeah. and and Huawei also Huawei phones, the Android phones, which is made by Google. So Huawei depended on the Google platform. So before U.S. Uh, national security establishment encouraged that because they want to encourage Chinese dependency on U.S. But yeah. Uh, that was the days of 3G and 4G when the U.S. companies dominated 3G and 4G. Now, when we're leapfrogged to 5G, you, Huawei hold all the patents. Huawei, you know, is building the back on 5G uh, in a lot of countries, and that's when the U.S. security um, establishment flipped out because they realized by allowing Huawei to build infrastructure in five I countries in UK, US, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, they themselves have to open up the hood to show Huawei all their spying and all their uh, <laughs> nefarious activities yeah. they have been doing carrying on, on on their public. That's unacceptable to these people. That's why they're pushing on of, that's on top of what we've already learned from Snowden. Yes, yes. But before it's fine because now like everything is controlled by Google, by Apple. You know, mm -hmm. U.S. government can just strong arm these these um, these company. And in fact, we know that American government are embedded in those companies with Facebook, with Google. You know, NSA are sniffling our emails, our Facebook conversations, and. Microsoft to build in back doors and they've tried to do that with Apple. I think Apple resisted. Yes, resist yes, yes, yes. That was a big story because because Apple supposedly resisted. And and but with 5G they realized oh oh no, oh no, China is gonna China is gonna control the backbone infrastructure. They found that price that, that they cannot live with that. So that's why they push their hardest for the Huawei ban, uh, which I let me want to ask you a question. What do you think about the the UK, the latest UK ban? Because I know UK resisted a long time. <laughs> they resisted a long time against yes. the US pressure. But what happened? Well, do, do you know, I, I think it's, I loathe Boris Johnson and all those people in number 10. But it was curious because I was thinking, 
they obviously know the the fact that they didn't cave in straight away to the demands from America, especially you know in the light of the post Brexit deal trade deal with America that 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 we need so badly. The fact that they we well Johnson really dragged his heels, and I thought they must know at a deep level that this is just complete nuts what they're being told they know what the security is you know um gchq will have had everything from huawei you know there is no threat so this is all pantomime but then you have people like Tugendhat. you've got lisa nandy who's i'm sorry just one of the most stupid um women in in politics and I think Starmer wants to be the new Blair. He's very Blairite. He's carving out his Blairite credentials. And I think he would very much like to be at the head of a, you know, of a battle with China because I think they're, they're, they're nuts. But the Tory deep state seem to be more aware than anyone else that you know, China is just not interested. It does. Why would it want the headache of what America's done? You know, the wars, the endless wars, really throughout, practically throughout its entire life. China just doesn't want that. So yes, that was interesting. That the first move was, oh well, um, Huawei can stay in thirty percent because remember we've had ten years. In fact, more more than that, more more than ten years. I think it's fifteen years of working with um, here with um, British Telecom, BT, and Vodafone. All the infrastructure, everything is in place, and suddenly they want you to rip rip the guts out. I'm, I I use a metaphor. It's a bit hopeless. Do you know about the vaginal mesh scandal that's been happening? That women who no. had prolapsed. Right. They, they had pro- prolapses. So what was happening, there was a certain type of mesh that they were being fitted with, which meant the flesh could grow over there. And it was and it was meant to sort of form a little girdle inside inside you um, that stopped your womb prolapsing or anything else prolapsing. And then they found that women were having such problems that they needed to remove the mesh. But of course, it's mesh and you've got all the fibres of your body that over years has now grown in, in this. So you've got women with real serious medical medical um, problems out. It's really uh, horrendous because they use the wrong mesh or they use the wrong technique. Anyway, I liken it to that. So now it's like we've got to rip this vaginal mesh from, from, from the UK body in order to please, in order to please madmen who might not even be in power a few months from now. So, so I think that makes sense because I do believe a UK kind of announcer implementation like far enough in the future. It looks like almost looks like they're waiting out the election to see what happens afterwards. (laughs) I was was thinking about Gordon Chang. Remember the other thing you're saying 19 years. Yeah, he's been he's been predicting this implosion of of the Chinese economy, not realizing quite what what's there how 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 solid it is remember in that time how many hedge funds have been shorting china and have lost a ton of money so i think sometimes when when gordon chang is talking super nuts i think 
well, he's obviously got a lot of pressure from all these hedge funds who believed him and who have been shorting and taking the wrong side of the bets against against China. And I think it must be galling. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a lot of t- times you don't know who is paying who. And, and I remember there was actually... Um, uh, a fund manager. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of investment fund, there's a fund manager, Kyle Bass. He's uh, yes. I was thinking notorious, of... you know, like on the Twitter to promoting all kind of COVID nineteen conspiracies. Oh, He's talking yes. about the Tiananmen two is going to happen in Hong Kong, and it turns out, guess who was paying his bills too? It was that exile Chinese billionaire. <laughs> Cool. Oh, and great. Really? So that's both Bannon and, and yes, yes. Because they recently had a fallout. You know, Guo and Gray went public, say, "Oh yeah, I don't need these people, right?" So I was like, "Oh, so those are your people." <laughs> it's amazing. For a long time, I was for a long time I was trying to figure out. You know, Kyle Bass. This guy must be losing tons of money trying to short yeah. China. How is he sustaining himself? Oh, okay. He has a wealthy investor. Okay, did, makes did, sense. Did Quok fall out with both Carl Bass and Bannon, or just Bass? Um, I think both. I think I think I I need to check. But last time I think I remembered that there was a fallout. Beat. Like I there was a, somebody threw out a tweet. Uh, if some reporters say, "Oh, did you know that?" Steve Bowden got thrown out by uh, Miles Quack or Golden Gray. We're like, oh, really? I didn't even know he was this man. <laughs> yeah. That's serious. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're now fighting among themselves. I mean, like, um, so they, in fact, they did, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about automation and the Chinese bots on Twitter. So Oxford University actually did a study, you know, of the, of the social media. And what they found out was, uh, you know, they didn't find much evidence of Chinese government trying to uh, ins- have bots uh, to prop their their you know state media. What they found was the opposite. That the mo- there yes, there are Chinese bots on internet on on Twitter particularly, but most of these Chinese bots come from um, the anti-government <laughs> organizations. <laughs> you know, people like Guo Wenhui, Guo Wenhui. You know, I noticed that too. I noticed like a lot of. Uh, anti-CCP uh, uh, tweet polls, they, you know, they, in, the, in, their, in their profiles or byline, they always all say something like, oh, we support Guo Wenghui. <laughs> it's it's oh, funny. But, but, you know, all the misinformation, you see, what disappoints me with one of the Five Eyes New Zealand, and I think Jacinda Ardern is amazing, you know, the way she, she saw what was happening in China and she immediately yeah. protected New Zealand people. But for the Belt and Road Initiative, I remember seeing an interview with her where she said, well, you know, we were hearing so much about the debt trap of, of Belt and Road. And um, so I, I set my guys to, to, to look at it forensic. And she used the word for, um, for forensic. And she said they came back. And not only was it clear that this, that the Belt and Road Initiative was not a debt trap, that it it was actually a bargain. She used the word bargain as well. And she said, that's why we signed up to it. So I think there must have been a lot of pressure on, on her. And I, th- I think it is sad that she has signed up to the, the all this Five Eyes stuff. But yeah. I, I think she's an unwitting, because she's smart. She knows what we know. She, she, she knows what the score is, what, sure, what's going sure. on. 
I mean, U.S. Um, can bring a tremendous pressure on its quote-unquote allies, but more more like they treat them as client state. You know, Australia, New Zealand. Um, you know, Australia. The fight between Australia and China is obviously against Australian interests, but there's. And and that's clear to everyone, you know. Like and 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 I think I follow a Twitter um, personality uh, called China Hand, uh, Peter Lee. He wrote about this a couple years ago. He his uh, theory back then was, you know, what they're doing in Australia is a uh, is what it's basically a experiment experiment wrong of what the deep state plan to do in U.S. You know, they they. It's like trial bloom that all the, the, the sinophobia they're whipping up in, in China. And he turns out to be right. You know, like it took a few years. It started with Australia. We're seeing all these uh, crazy reporting about extensive Chinese net, uh, spy network, yeah. subverting, buying out the Australian politicians. We even have that high profile, uh, supposedly high level Chinese spy who defected, which turned out to a bunk to be a bunk story and then it was debunked but it doesn't matter the mean kind of stay yeah, in public yeah. people's consciousness a lot of the media reporting about china nowadays run in the same kind of manner you know some crazy claim is being made that china is uh, for example demolishing a, a, a mosque in, in xinjiang and then several uh, months later it turns out they didn't demolish the mosque they, they demolished the front gatehouse which was not you know, oh, even part of the traditional structure. They were demolishing the, the gatehouse to renovate it. Uh, but yeah. they, the guy, the Shang, it was Shang Zhang, who actually worked for ASPI, which, by the way, is supposedly an Australian think tank um, that was partially funded by Australian government. But in actuality, uh, ASPI is funded by uh, U.S. arms manufacturing yes. like Lockheed Martin, and it's founded by U.S. State Department. So yeah. you have this like kind of U.S. proxy uh, peddling all these crazy yeah. anti-China stories. And then uh, recently, Australia just bought uh, anti-ship missiles from the United States, from Lockheed Martin, <laughs> you know, for, for boatloads yeah, of money. Funny, funny and, that. <laughs> and, and, and Australia government paid Aspie a consulting fee. It's like, okay, they are being paid by the weapon manufacturers to convince you to buy their weapons and you pay them a finder's fee. I mean, that's a sweet gig. That's why we have all these kind of anti-China story coming up because it's yeah. profitable. And does this ever get challenged and counted in The Guardian or the BBC? <laughs> No, you know these are these are being reported now in alternative media like Gray Zone, you know, like like by by Max Blumenthal, who they're under attack right now on oh, by no. mainstream media as for yeah. you know as uh, as you know like you know how now Twitter labels them you know Russian state affiliated media, um, and they they there's a um, there's a, a publication called Coda Story which is affiliated with. You would know the name Integrity Initiative, uh, founded by UK government. You know, supposedly to fight Russian disinfo, and and uh, they they you know try to label uh, Grey Zone as uh, as disinfo, and they did a headpiece on them. And then right after the headpiece came out, a journalist from Coda Story, uh, Isabel uh, Cockerell, contacted yeah. me on Twitter. She said she wanted to. Uh, talk to me about 
the Xinjiang issue because she's seen that I tweet a lot about Xinjiang and she she said herself also is in, uh, you know studies the Xinjiang issue she wants to compare notes and then yeah. she also said she wants me to respond to allegations of of me being a an organ of Chinese state of a, 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 a I'm being a Chinese propaganda influence yeah, operation possibly and, have your own opinions and your own your emotional yeah. response to, to to things is just yeah, I I thought okay, well I knew she was gonna do probably do a hit piece, but I thought okay, well there's no there's no nothing as bad publicity, right? So I agreed to the interview on the condition that I be allowed to tape the interview, um, record it, and use it for my podcast. So yeah. while on uh, on my you know when we're talking over Skype, she agreed to be recorded and she said yeah 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 it's it's fine i can appear on your podcast but after we finished the interview she sent me um a, a dm on on twitter said oh you know i checked with my editor they considered the um they considered the uh the interview to be the company asset so i'm sorry you cannot use copyright. it they're claiming copyright yeah, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't remember signing any contract with you. <laughs> and I, I do have your verbal agreement to tape yeah. it. And I, I was explicitly, I stated my purpose was to use it for my show. And and then and then she instead she's like, okay, but I can I can post a a, um, a full transcript. So I thought, okay, that's be better than nothing. So I agreed to it. But then I yeah. thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, because she, she said I'm gonna post a full. Uh, uh, full transcript on my medium page. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Is your medium page the same thing as where the article is written? Because I don't want you to write the article talking mm. shit about me and then write a medium page which nobody reads and have a link yeah. to the full transcript. That that that's not how it works. And she basically, to my question, she just says, "Well, the offer still stands." By the way, the article is out. Of course, the article is out, and it did not contain any transcript link. And it cast me as you know denier of atrocities in Xinjiang. Um, oh. and, and and there was a lot of insinuation about me. It, 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 the, the, the words, literal words is, you know, Carl, uh, go take a dip in the turquoise water of Bali. After surfing, he comes back and work on his job as an influencer. I thought, wait, what? Because <laughs> I told, he asked, she asked me, you know, what do I do for income? And I told her, my right now my my patrons on patreon support me for my podcast i mean yeah. but she's casting me as this some kind of wealthy surfer dude out in bali um basically sprouting nonsense about something i know nothing about uh so i i i in the end i mean basically she cherry-picked what she wanted to construct a narrative yes. um, and, and then uh, which is a headpiece on me and also another person uh, a British uh, a, a British expat in China who recently biked to Xinjiang and he likes to talk about oh, what Jerry. he saw that's Jerry, Jerry. yeah Jerry yeah. Gray um, so she interviewed also interviewed Jerry Gray again she did the same thing to to him cherry pick uh the quotes taken out of the context so i just talked to jerry and jerry was very angry he also have the full recording with video of mm. the, the full interview process i just think she's been very shady she's promising that oh yeah you can we can record and then 
pull the rug afterwards. It will make her career. So this is earning her brownie points, isn't it? With yes. Yes. And, and, and she fan, and she fan. I think she also did this. Yes. Too, she? Yes. Yes. And and she fan. So we three of us are branded as these uh, <laughs> these uh, these in social influencers. Um, that's kind of. Uh, uh, defending China's atrocity, and then it, it, it goes on to blacken the names of our followers. It says these people might be real, but you know there seems to be a lot of automated activities among their followers. You know the the, the bot army promote their their narrative on Twitter. I'm like, what? Where's the evidence of that? Yeah. <laughs> you can't just make yeah. a claim about people being see, bots. The, the, this is the extent of their of their democracy, isn't it, and free yeah. speech. Which is it's it's democracy and free speech for them, yes. but no else is is allowed to to balance it. This is you know this is so anti science, so anti age of enlightenment, where it's thesis, antithesis, synthesis. You you know you you posit something, then I will come up with with yeah. you know a, a counter uh, argument, and then from that we try to form to 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 bring out what the truth is. This yeah. is just, and I think this goes along with all the actual attacks on scientists on science what we're seeing with coronavirus yep. it's very interesting except i'd rather not be living in interesting times yeah, i agree but it's I, very speaking of such attack on scientists you know the, the u.s are now purging chinese cancer researchers from u.s institutions yeah. that's well, how crazy it is they're gonna suffer from, from it because then they won't have the brains there but fauci they're attacking their own scientists like 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 fauci yeah and, and all, all all the all the evidence they're going to end up can you imagine i mean i just imagine them like sort of viking berserkers or something they're just just <laughs> these barbarians that all they've got, they're like okay they've got 20 times more um, military than china and i, I think they've got like six thousand um nukes and china's only got about 290 yeah. but you only need one 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 to get through yeah you know yeah. the fact that they're even considering using this is just so degenerate it's so basic and what they're doing to their own people is like watching george floyd die eight eight minutes and what was it, eight minutes and 40 40 something seconds we the world watched this man having the life choked yeah. out of him and, but please and the Isabel actually challenged me. She asked me, she, it's her exact words, why are you suppressing Uyghur voices? Uh, I'm flabbergasted. How do I suppress Uyghur voices when I am a podcast with less than 200 subscribers? Yeah. <laughs> and, and when you know all the outlets, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, all are parallel parroting the lines straight out of U.S. State Department. You know, they're parroting lines from RFA, Radio Free Asia, which is a CIA spinoff. And, and they're all, you know, the, they, the Uyghur exiles gets, you know, access to all these media outlets. You're coming after me because I'm telling a different side of the story. And how does that even equating with suppressing? I'm just expressing my own opinion, my own views, you know, based on, on what I find to be facts. And you, I, I, and I pointed out, it's just, you are trying to suppress my voice. <laughs> In fact, you know what happened to the speech of freedom, uh, and and uh, you know, so yeah, it's 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 quite amazing that even me. I mean, I okay. I mean, I understand I have forty three thousand followers on, on on Twitter, but I'm I'm surprised even 
me or like alternative news channel like Gray Zone is under attack, that means mm. I'm doing maybe we're doing something right. You're we're get, getting under their skin a little bit. So. Zero. I mean, just imagine if we didn't didn't ha have social media and we were relying on the mainstream media for all this information. Can you imagine? Right. Oh. So, so, so now the, the, this is bursting their bubble a, a bit be, because yeah. they yeah. know somewhere out there is the truth because we're putting we, we are putting tr truth up up there. And instead of them being able to then produce evidence and say, no, sorry, Carl, but you're, you're wrong on this because this is the evidence we have. We have here. They know they don't have it. So all they can do is re res resort to these dirty tricks. I mean, I, I wrote a piece on the 23rd of June on my blog, Let's Blame China and Infantile Disorder When COVID-19 Comes Knocking, and actually trying to put together how the White House turned China bought us time into China lied, people died, yeah. which also put the world at risk. So, so I, I, I put all that together there. The, the, then I ended up with a in a in an exchange with Noah Smith from Bloomberg, and I and I oh, gave him that link, and all he could say was, "You've lied. There are too many lies there for me for for, for me to counter." And I said, "No, you know, please tell me, give me a for instance, what you think is up there that is factually wrong, because what I'm I'm doing is actually drawing on Western media." Uh, um, th things like the Daily Beast managed to get hold of this pa paper that was directing from the State Department, di directing politicians and people in media how to argue stuff. They said, don't defend Trump, just go straight for China, just argue this and this and this and this. And just Noah Smith is the worst. He is doing what he accused me of doing on social media. You know, he's saying I, you know, I'm always defending China no matter what. He is defending U.S. no matter what. He's defending the U.S. hegemony no matter what. And, and he, they, all they can do is call you Wu Mao instead of actually saying, "Well, here are facts that I have to counter your argument," because they don't. Yeah, in fact, Noah Smith challenged me to to a debate online to be streamed over the internet on YouTube. Um, I accepted, but then he never followed up. <laughs> I guess he... I'll hold your coat for that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's it's so funny to me. And and right now it's uh, we're we and that's that's what worries me is this uh, kind of anti-China consensus. It's an anti-China consensus. It's not it's not a it's not just a Republican issue or or Democrat issue. It's a bipartisan issue. It's even people like supposedly uh, you know Noah Smith. I think he's supposed to be a centrist or something. And then there's a there's a Matt Stoller who is supposed to be a progressive on the left. You know, he is comparing China to Nazi Germany, and oh. in 1930s, I, I'm I'm just like flabbergasted. This guy, people like this, gets taken I mean, seriously. It's like just get down to the basics. From you know, 200 years ago, they were thrust into misery. I mean, it, you know, this wasn't just the West. It's also because of the dynasty and everything was collapsing. But the West took advantage of this beat it up. It's treated it absolutely appallingly. They're finally getting up off their knees and um, pe people can't, the, the, the West can't, can't stand it. But in, in any, anyone with a sense of fairness 
would appreciate. These are people who have struggled and struggled. They're finally managing to pick the fruits of their endeavors of, of, of their, their work. And yeah, suddenly, yeah. You, you know, America wants to do to do this to them. I, I just think it is just dis disgusting, dishonest. It's plunging us all into this medieval mindset of blind faith against... This interview is just turning into, like, uh, a session of me agreeing with you on everything. Um, because, oh, that's my dogs. Uh, they want to we get into the... Actually, we, we, we should do this regularly, just as like... Yes, just to air out uh, our thoughts. Yeah, Press, just to decompress and just say, oh my God, look, look, they're, they're going nuts, Carl. <laughs> Give me a reality check. We, we need this. In fact, we next time we come reconvene, we should do what we originally set out to do, which is do a thorough uh, critique of Julia Novell's uh, book, The Opium Wars. And then we can talk about The Opium Wars itself. You know, some yeah. of the facts that was being discussed, I think that that would make a fascinating show. Another thing I want to talk to you about is the, the Chinese experience in UK, because I read your articles on Madame Miao, and that was just, you know, eye opening for me. I did not even know that history existed about this. I mean, it all, it all tied with the colonialism. Uh, started with when when Britain start to, you know, start participating in carving off part of China that brought uh, Man from Shandong to as laborers to to Britain, um, and in, in sometimes very not, let's just say pretty bad conditions. And and then 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 after the war, they just kicked them out. I I did I learned that history through you, so I, I am very appreciative. And uh, and then hopefully next time we we get to talk about that because that that's the kind yeah. of stuff. That's my I'm like a history nerd. I can geek out on this all day. <laughs> It's important now because history is biting us on the bum. Yes, yes, yes. And and so if people wanted to go uh, to read, um, so they should go to Madame Miao, or do they just search Madame Miao on if Google? They just look for Madame Miao, but it's spelled M I A O W. Okay, and so it's actually Madame Miao dot blogspot dot com. But, okay. But a, a search for it either on Twitter. I've got, uh, I've, um, it's my link on my my Twitter profile, and uh, also a search for Anna Chen and Madame Miao should should okay. get you onto onto the, the um onto the site. Okay, search together Anna Chen and Madame Miao. So I will also put a link in the show notes on on my Patreon oh, website. Yeah. Uh, for for our user to click and follow, um, and and if people want to follow you on Twitter, what is your Twitter handle? Um, I, I think it's just Madam Meow. Hang on a sec. Um, let me check. Out. <laughs> I can whip yes, out my is. phone. It, it's at Madam Meow, and the Meow is spelled M I A O W. Ah, okay. Uh, Madam Meow says, "Okay, great, awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Anna, Thank for this." You. Two-hour talk. I, I think we both needed this, like decompression. Yeah, it feels like ten minutes. I'm going to go now and and try try and look at that interview that you got stitched up over with that yes. with that woman. I'm going. To yes, down. yes, please, please. So everybody, listen to the full interview. So to refute to to for transparency purposes, I posted the full interview I had with Isabel 
um, cockerel of Coda stories on my YouTube channel. I have linked it on my Twitter page and also my YouTube channel. You can search Carl Zai in YouTube to find my YouTube channel. Or uh, that's Carl with a C and and my last name spelled Z H A. Um, or you can just go to my uh, Twitter handle, Carl Zai. One word. Yeah, on your Twitter now. Yeah, and now followers. Wow, that's good. Well done. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I, at some level, I welcome controversy. You know, if if they want to have the Barbara Streisand effect, increasing my followers, you know, more power to them. And and they, in fact, today, um, actually, I got prompted by Twitter for verification for my phone number. So I'm pretty sure they're trying to mass report me again. Um, that's what they did to me before when I was in China when I didn't have access to my US number so I couldn't verify and and that's how they got me restricted for for several days oh gosh uh, has it hasn't happened to me yet touch touch wood I'm sure I'm on I'm on their list yeah so update update your phone numbers <laughs> for people this is a public service announcement if you're on Twitter make sure your phone number is up to date so when the Twitter prompt you for for phone verification, you won't get locked out. Yeah. Uh, speaking from experience. Um, yeah. Thank you again, Anna. We definitely need to do this again. We did. We need this. <laughs> it needs to be a regular like occurrence. This is great. Definitely. Uh, uh, and uh, I, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon and uh, I'll see you on Twitter. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Carl. Take care soon. Okay. Bye-bye.